This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and thank you for joining with me. Today, we formally begin our journey through the small but incredibly significant book of Colossians. And just a few things right here up at the top. First of all, get your Bible. Today's text is only two verses, but I encourage you to really follow along in your own Bible. To get started, you might want to read the entire letter or or after this message. Sometimes this week, read through it several times. Get the overall letter in your mind so that as we go through this together, you can know the larger concepts and the, the context that Paul is leading us through. Now, last Sunday was our introduction, and if you missed that, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it because we covered a lot of upfront information, um, the big themes, the, just the big parts of the book that will really help you hold this all together as we go through it. Now, each week, I'm going to be producing a very, very simple study guide, just really several questions, somewhere probably between two to four questions. It's at the bottom of the outline that you can download from our website. If you listen to this with someone, it'd be really great for you to to sit down with somebody and go through these questions, thinking about the scripture, the ideas for us, not just to be things that we're intellectually listening to or just really considering once a week, but really looking at all of this and appropriating it as we go through it once again together. So as we begin, let me welcome you to the ancient city of Colossa. Paul begins his letter with a greeting in keeping with the customs of his time, but also unique to him. So Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, and this is what we read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossa, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, friends, if you remember back from our journey through the book of Acts, Timothy joined Paul and Silas early in his second missionary journey. And by the time Paul spends his two years in Ephesus, where, as we covered last week, he may have in fact written Colossians, Timothy had become one of Paul's closest friends and workers with him. Now, a few things about Colossa to help us get a sense of this community, the culture, and the people that Paul is writing to. You see, when we read Scripture, I mean, this probably sounds obvious, but we must always remember that this text was written over 2,000 years ago in Greek to a cultural setting and involving issues that are very different from our own lives, but in some ways, maybe not so different. And so our goal is to get inside the Colossians' minds as much as that is possible. It can be difficult. It can be hard work. But to find common ground to help us see how we understand and apply the Scripture in a way that is honest with Paul's original intent, his emphasis, and his meanings. Okay? So, a little bit about Colossae. This was located in the Lycus Valley of ancient Asia Minor. Okay, Ephesus, the city of Ephesus was located on the west coast of modern-day Turkey, and Colossae is about 120 miles inland to the east. Now, another city that's going to be mentioned a couple of times is Laodicea, and Colossae and Laodicea were about 11 miles from each other. Now, the Lycus Valley, um, again, the larger, little larger region where Colossae is located, this had a significant Jewish community, but the population was predominantly Gentile, meaning the indigenous peoples, pagans, Greeks, Romans, and some others. 
Now, culturally, Colossa was a religious mix of the old Greek Roman gods, such as Artemis, right? We learned about Artemis, the cult of Artemis, the temple of Artemis, all that's in, um, in Ephesus was the, the home of that, but also the local pagan and mystery religions, okay? And we'll be talking more about that later as we move into the book. But a key thing about the cultural and religious life of the region is that it was highly spiritual, but very ill-defined, confusing, lots of overlap, intermixing between different ancient religious traditions. This is called syncretism, and importantly, it was largely amoral. Now, this would have included issues such as just rampant immorality, promiscuity, the sexual exploitation of women and children, pedestry or pedastry. Now, this was a dynamic that was common in the ancient world where you would have a sexual relationship between an adult male and a preteen male. Again, common in the ancient Greek world and just something that we would look at that today and just absolutely be, you know, have revulsion at it. There was also slavery, a co-mingling of religious authority, political authority, and business, and generally a worldview that just devalued much of human life. I mean, basically, the culture favored the powerful and elite, to which the message of the gospel stood in stark contrast. Now, one more detail about Colossa. It had been a very prominent and wealthy city for centuries, but by the first century, the city was in the early stages of a long decline. So let's just distill this down a bit. If you were a part of the community of disciples in Colossa, you lived in a culture that was very spiritual but just as immoral. Life was exploitive, human life was routinely devalued, especially that of women and children. Your religious systems were confusing and empty, and the, the powerful took advantage of the weak. And if you really looked around you, you could see that your city and culture were beginning to decline. As Paul observed from Ephesus, when he looked at the culture around him, your culture was without hope, and without God in the midst of the world. And my friends, into this reality came the message that there was a God, the God, and God was not distant, not just for the elite and powerful. He was redemptive rather than punitive, self-sacrificial rather than exploitive, and brought hope of forgiveness, restoration, and eternal and ultimate value to all people right now, through faith in the Son of God, God's presence in the world, Jesus Christ. And this message, the good news about the fullness of God's grace, well, my friends, it was powerful and it was attractive. And in his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul describes how the Spirit was growing these believers so that the, with the surrounding culture, the people surrounding them would look at them and see them, they would see nothing less than children of God. This is the quote, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation shining like stars in the sky as they held firmly to the word of life. And then as this church began to grow in their understanding and experience of the grace and peace of God, some false teachers started to come in, started to come into them saying, hold on. This Jesus you are proclaiming, this new life that you are living, it's not enough. In order to be right with God, you need to move beyond faith and start to do all of these other things that we're going to tell you. I mean, we know you think Christ alone provides you with everything you need for your identity, hope, peace, wisdom from God. 
But what you really have to have is this big, giant helping of religion based on the wisdom of man. I mean, don't you know that life is about more than just contentment, peace, joy, hope, and love? Here, take this guilt, obligation, pride, rituals, and performance-based acceptance so you can think that you're better than everybody else. All right, that's, maybe I was stretching that just a little bit there, but I don't think so. I mean, this is what is going on. And, and we'll see this again unfold before us as we go through the book. And so when Paul heard about this, he gets exercised, saying, not on my watch. And he writes this letter from prison to this young, vibrant, and vulnerable family of believers. So Paul begins with a greeting that encapsulates in one sentence the essence of everything else that he's going to say. And with his first words, Paul makes it clear that the genuineness of his message and his authority to speak to them and teach them is given to him by the will of God. So the first thing Paul says is, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay, you see, Paul wants these believers to know that this isn't just about him. This isn't something he's just made up. It's not his agenda. His unique and specific role as an apostle, okay, meaning a person who had received revelation from God about God to bring to them, this was a work God was doing. Right? Again, not his own agenda. And I point this out but because when we think of the idea of God's will, it's easy to think in terms similar to what Paul says here. I mean, if God had this specific and unique will for Paul, we may ask then, what is God's specific and unique will for me? And we tend to think of this in terms of things like jobs, relationships, life decisions, right? these very, very real things we have as we go through the circumstances of our life. And friends, make no mistake, the presence of Christ in us, the teaching of Scripture, will influence and bring direction into our life decisions. And at times, the Holy Spirit may work to direct us in very specific and unique ways. But the concept of God's will is not limited to specific callings, decisions, or actions. You see, if we look broadly through the New Testament, we will see God's will as the underlying foundational expression of how we live in relationship to others because of who we are in relationship to God. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, very, very famous passage. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In each step of life, each decision, each encounter, as we walk in the Spirit, experiencing the transformation of our mind and our will and our emotions, we will see God leading us into His will for us to be a living presence of His nature and character. So Paul was an apostle of Christ by the will of God. And friends, we are disciples of Christ by the will of God. Uh, lots more we could talk about there, but going on, Paul now refers to the Colossian believers with two terms. And the first is that they were God's holy people. 
Now, holy is a very important New Testament concept, but it often gets confused or diluted in Christian culture. You know, there's this stereotype of a holy person, and this might be, we might imagine this as someone who is somewhat legalistic, outwardly pious, very restricting and they're restricting or restricted in their lifestyle, maybe looking down on others, right? The idea of a person being holier than thou. But my friends, holy, being holy or holiness isn't fundamentally about outward behavior, although that is definitely part of it. You see, the word literally means, if you don't know this, it literally means set apart. As people of faith in Christ, because by his grace, God has come to us and brought us into his life. Our lives are set apart to him and for him. You see, our faith is not just a passive partial attribute of who we are. It is our very life and identity. And in Colossians, we will see this in two ways. First, here in this introduction, just the objective reality that in Christ we are holy. The word is also translated in some versions as saints. Because of, what had, because of what God has done in making us new creations through faith in Christ, we are fully, completely um, of God and set apart to and for him. We are his saints. Just like a child adopted into a new family, our name has changed and we are now of the family of God. Let me just push into this a little bit more. You know, it's been said that in Christ, we haven't just received a new future. We have also received a new past. God is completely taking us out of the family line of Adam, right? This is really from Romans 5, if you want to go read more about this. He has completely taken us out of the family line of Adam, right? The reality of fallen humanity and has brought us into the family line of Jesus. Years ago, a teacher gave me an illustration of this, described this to me. He said, imagine you're driving down a dirt road. You've been driving down a dirt road your whole life. And often we think of, you know, the Christian life being that, you know, all of a sudden the, the road becomes, I don't know, the road becomes paved, the road becomes much clearer, um, be better to find, um, healthier. And, you know, all the old dirty road is still behind us, but now we're on a different type of road. But a better image is the image of you're driving along this dirt road, just being beat to death, and here the interstate is, and you get on the on-ramp and you pull onto the interstate. And once you are on that brand new road, you see the new road ahead of you. But when you look in the rearview mirror, you see a new road behind you. Friends, the point is, being the holy people of God is about more than behavior. It is about belonging. And because we are holy, set apart to God, his saints, this also inevitably will change how we live. Our lives will take on the nature and character of our new source of life, which is Christ. Because we are holy, this will lead to holiness in how we live. I mean, consider this passage from Romans 6. Okay? Very, very famous. You're likely familiar with it. Paul says, and he's speaking here about you. He's using the term of slavery, which is a little jarring to us. But he says, I am using this as an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, 
So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, right, to God, focusing on him, which leads to holiness. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, right? There's the idea, the benefit, slaves to God. When he is our life, we are looking to him. He is our focus. The benefit leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Ah, guys, again, there's so much there, but I've got to move on. You see, Paul identifies these believers as God's holy people in Colossa, and then he also says that they are the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, let's talk about this idea of being faithful. Now, when Paul wrote this, it means, at least partially, that he is recognizing that they have placed their faith in Christ, right? They are people of faith. You know, a little parenthetically here, sometimes I'll, when I'm talking to people, I'll say something like, you know, I'm not really religious, but I am a man of deep faith. Faith in Christ, right? Not something amorphous, but specific. Faith in Christ and a deep faith in God's word to us. But friends, much more, the idea of faithfulness here indicates that they are steadfast in their faith. You see, in the face of the great difficulties of life and the profoundly exploitive and dehumanizing nature of their surrounding culture, they were known to be unwavering in their faithfulness to God. Now, key here is that the ideas of being holy and faithful are inseparably connected to belong to God, to be yielded to him, and be living in dependence upon him is itself the source of our faithfulness. You know, Paul makes this point in Galatians, in the famous fruit of the Spirit statement, um, Galatians 5, and 23, where he says, But the fruit of the Spirit, or the inevitable result of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, the courage and moral strength to remain faithful in the midst of difficulty, friends, that is not of us in our old human nature, in our flesh. It is a result of the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's work in our mind, our will, and our emotions. You see, you could say that faith in abiding trust and yieldedness to the Spirit of Christ in us, that is what leads to faithfulness because this is the fruit, the result of the Spirit of Christ in us. But friends, again, even more, Paul emphasizes that our faithfulness to God also leads to our faithfulness to each other. You see, when he says these believers are the faithful brothers and sisters, and some, if you have an older translation, it might say brethren, he isn't just meaning men and women. What he means here is family. Friends, here we see one of the many emphasis Paul is going to place on the church being a body, a community, a relational family whose bonds and caring are even greater than the bonds of our physical families in this life. Now, of course, it's true that this often is not how the church operates. But my friends, this is how God's church is designed and intended to operate. And as we will see more than one time again, 
This is a powerful corrective to this highly individualistic notion of faith that is so common in evangelical culture. Okay, moving on. Friends, next we're going to see something that is easy to miss, especially in the English, but incredibly important and purposeful in how Paul says what he says. And it's that our faith is not just a matter of being a family, although of course it is, importantly, but it is also a matter of location. So listen again to the greeting. Paul says, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. The NASB puts it this way, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are at Colossae. You see, in the Greek, you got two clauses here, in Colossae and in Christ. And they are perfectly balanced on either side of the statement, the holy and faithful brothers and sisters. You see, what Paul is doing here by his structure of, in, in the Greek, he intends these two statements, in Christ and in Colossae, to be viewed as a pair, both reflecting on the location of our lives. All right, track with me here. Just as these believers physically lived in Colossae, their spiritual location, their true home, and their identity was in Christ. And friends, the same is true of us. You know, thinking of myself and our local commun- church community here, just as our physical home is, is in Eagle County, our spiritual home, the true location of our new self, is in Christ. Now, this isn't just some spiritual semantics. You know, let me give you an illustration from the classic book, The Rest of the Gospel, by Dan Stone. And in this book, Stone gives this illustration that he calls the swing. Okay, so I want you to imagine that you're a child on a swing and the seat and you on it, you're all, you're in great motion, right? Side to side, up and down. And imagine that when you swing from one end of the arc to the other end of the arc, that's like in life when we go from good things to bad things, right? Positive and negative, hope and despair, courage and fear, one side to the other. And friends, there are times when that is just life. And we tell ourselves, you know, the Christian life isn't supposed to be like this. I'm always supposed to be over on the good side of the ark. And so we employ all sorts of things, religious and otherwise, to try to to nail ourselves up on the good side of the ark. And sometimes we can do this for a while, but there will be times when life takes us to the other side of that swing when our best efforts fail, when we fail, and our attempts at control are of no avail. And the result at times can be burnout, maybe just being disillusioned, or the temptation to give up on ourselves, or even to give up on God. Because there's another way to look at the swing. You see, because there's a part of the swing that hardly moves at all, and that's the hinge. No matter how wild the swing is moving, The hinge is almost still. See, it's at peace. And the hinge in our illustration represents the Holy Spirit. It represents God's truth and God's presence that says, cast your cares upon me. Make me your focus and I will give you rest for your souls right in the middle of life as it really is. You see, church, our physical life and the cares of this life that are very real and very important, 
They are the seat of that swing. And this is where we live in the physical life. But our true home, our true center, our source, that's the hinge. The truth and presence of God where things are still. Things are at peace. So while, it is, while it's true that I am in Eagle County, in my life of questions, confusion, maybe hurt, fear, anger, what have you, my home, my heart, my source is in Christ. For he is the center, and he calls us to look to him, to rest in him as our center, as our frame of reference for the reality of life there in the swing. And then, as Paul concludes his greeting, he invites the believers into a kind of life that he's going to spend the rest of this letter explaining. He says, To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace and peace. Friends, we see this greeting, this calling, and this promise throughout the New Testament. Let me just give you two examples. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter says, and this is actually the introduction to Peter's second letter. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. And then he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance, in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I'm going to come back to that passage in a minute. In his greeting at the, be at the beginning of Revelation, John says this, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, by the way, this is the area where Colossae was located, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. And then John goes on to describe who is the source of our grace and peace. It says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Church, this is the eternal God who in Christ has come to us, redeemed us, called us his very own, and he calls us into himself, saying, come to me in this life right now, today, whatever that may be, Come into the experience of my grace and my peace. Now, guys, for a moment, think of what our truest needs in life are. I mean, what we really most truly need and seek after. See, these are all above-the-line things. Things such as peace, hope, contentment, security, patience, love, acceptance, meaning, courage. You know, some 30 years ago, my father served under a pastor in an inner city church in Dallas in the neighborhood of Oak Cliff. Some of you may be familiar with that. And his name was David Kirkendall was this pastor's name. David has since passed away. But of thinking of these greatest needs of life, the true needs that we have in life, David's definition of the grace of God was this. God's grace 
is the presence and power of God to meet my greatest needs in every circumstance all the time. All the time. God is with us. And to go back to that passage from 2 Peter, um, Peter continues. So he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, for life and godliness. Everything we need has been given to us through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Friends, hear me. Just to wrap this all back up, in this short greeting, Paul has, God has revealed through Paul that this is by the will of God, as God's holy people, his saints, as by faith in Christ we are faithful in life, with our true home in Christ even as we live in this physical world, for us to know, to experience in the midst of life as it really is, God's grace and his peace to us. Wow. Friends, again, I encourage you to read this so this opening, just two, two verses, this greeting several times, and think about these things. Now, I mentioned at the very beginning of my message that as we go through this journey, I'm really going to endeavor each week to have a set of discussion questions for you, reflection questions for you. So let me just walk you through the ones that I have in today's outline. Some things to think about, reflecting on what I just shared. Although we are separated by 2,000 years, guess what do we have in common with the people of Colossa? And why does that matter? All right, here's another one. God's will for Paul as an apostle was very specific and unique. But what do you know is God's will for you? And for that matter, for all believers, right? And what does that fundamental underlying will of God for your life, what does that look like, right? How is that expressed as we actually go through the day in and day out life that we're a part of? Here's another one. In your own words, what does it mean that you are one of God's holy people? And what are the greatest attributes of holiness? Maybe take some time, think about that, write that down. What does it mean that you are one of God's holy people? That's something profound to think about. What does it look like to be faithful in Christ? What, what does that faithfulness look like? And lastly, friends, how do you experience God's grace and his peace? And importantly, how do you extend God's grace and peace to others? So with that, friends, I'm going to leave you until next week. Thank you again for joining with me. I love you. And as I just said, <laughs> I'll see you again here next week. God bless. Thank you.